0: For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, saying hello to our friends in Montana, and inviting them and everyone else to check out our new crystal ball video on the 1970s cooling scare. Plot spoiler? Yes, it really existed. And check it out while there's still time, because according to someone else's crystal ball, the entire Antarctic ice cap is going to melt and we're all going to die or something. We're not sure how the beachfront mansion alarmist crowd like Barack Obama and Bill Gates reacted, but NBC News just announced, again, that, quote, Antarctic ice shelf could crack, raise seas by feet within decade, scientists warn, end quote. And when scientists warn, it's even more ominous than when they just say. Even if the story subhead then dials it back to a researcher. And while the disaster is apparently scheduled for 2031, it all depends on, quote, how the glacier will behave over the next 100 years, end quote despite which Science.org gave it the unsubtle headlines, quote, ice shelf holding back Keystone Antarctic Glacier within years of failure, breakup of the Thwaites' eastern shelf will ramp up sea level rise, end quote. No could or might there. But the looming demise of Thwaites is old news in the alarmist press, as you can see from our previous coverage of it. Nevertheless, here we go again. Quote, ice shelf, riven by newly detected fissures on its surface and underside, is likely to break apart in the next five years or so, scientists reported today at a meeting of the American Geophysical Union, end quote. Likely. Whereupon, we all get damp. Quote, a collapse of the entire glacier, which some researchers think is only centuries away, would raise global sea level by 65 centimeters, end quote. But since that's not even Attack of the Giant leeches is scary, they add, quote, its demise could eventually lead to the loss of the entire West Antarctic ice sheet, which locks up 3.3 meters of global sea level rise, end quote. And as usual, the settled science is unsettled in a bad way. NBC says, quote, a series of scientific studies of Thwaites in recent years has shown the enormous glacier is melting more quickly and in ways scientists never expected, end quote. And since what scientists expected about Thwaites didn't come true, we must now believe what scientists expect about Thwaites. Quote, the threat from Thwaites, the retreat of Antarctica's whiskiest glacier, end quote. This time for sure, might, could, if, according to models. Of course, we might panic and do ourselves in first. From Columbia University's Climate School, and who you thought Grievance Studies put the cart of conclusion before the horse of inquiry, we hear from an author named Kevin Webb that soon we will take control of the whole ecosystem and finally make it work properly. Quote, The technologies we are developing today to slow and even reverse climate change mean something monumental for the history of people and the planet. For the first time, we will be purposely in charge of the planet's thermostat, end quote. Again, humans would never bungle such a situation. Oh no, we never get cosmic ambitions and then kill millions. Wait a minute, we do. It was, after all, Karl Marx's collaborator Friedrich Engels, who wrote in Socialism, Utopian and Scientific, that the difference between capitalism and socialism was like that, quote, between the destructive force of electricity and the lightning in the storm, and electricity under command in the telegraph and the voltaic arc, the difference between a conflagration and fire working in the service of man, end quote, Which led to concentration camps and millions dead in the Soviet Union and the People's Republic of China. But Webb has even more cosmic ambitions. Quote, climate change is here, it's unjust, it was preventable, it will likely get worse. A narrative I don't hear often, though, is that working to stop climate change is not only possible, it's exciting, end quote. Whereas humility is boring beyond measure. It's almost as bad as caution. Still, it would be nice, before he turns down the thermostat and kills crops, or triggers some unexpected runaway process, to be told at the very least how he knows what the ideal temperature is. He says, quote, we need to run the clock backwards. The CO2 levels of the Goldilocks period most of humanity has existed through, roughly the past 10,000 years, which saw the development of agriculture in cities, will look increasingly appealing compared with the coming several years and decades ahead. On principle, I believe 280 parts per million should be the benchmark CO2 level, end quote. But wait, does he mean the Goldilocks temperatures of the Holocene climatic optimum when agriculture was created? much warmer than today? Does he mean the Roman or medieval warm period with vineyards in England? Or does he mean the plunging temperatures, brutal storms, and crop failures of the Little Ice Age? Or maybe he's thinking about Mars, because, quote, the benefits of these technologies won't stop on our planet. Every tool we developed and perfect to regulate our own atmosphere may one day prove just as useful to future spacefaring humans who could repurpose them to terraform other planets, end quote. Yeah assuming we live through the professor's efforts to fix the economy and mother nature first. And now, a word from our sponsor, and that's you. Because at the Climate Discussion Nexus, we're dependent upon support from our viewers and our readers. Please go to our donate page, make a one-time pledge, or if you can, a monthly one. I'm not talking a lot of money, though. If you've got it, we'll take it. Two dollars a month, three dollars, five dollars. That's the sustaining funding that we need to produce these videos on our newsletter. And now, back to me. On a slightly less cosmic note, with prices rising, most sensible observers point to endless government borrowing and printing of money, while lockdown economies produce less and less as the root cause of inflation. But there are other views. For instance, that the cause is, drum well please, climate change. Quote, the full effect of lingering pandemic-related food supply chain disruptions, high inflation, labor and transportation issues, climate change, and extreme weather events on next year's grocery bills remains to be seen, end quote. And then they tell you about it anyway, even if it gives you a heart attack. Because, yes, climate change causes those too. There is nothing it cannot do, except generate good news or common sense. For instance, the BBC reports that, quote, Arctic heat record is like Mediterranean, says UN, end quote. And when the UN speaks, even the scientists who say fall silent. But before getting out those Arctic beach chairs, listen to Paul Homewood's objection that the record set in Verkhoyansk last June at 38 degrees Celsius was only 0.7 degrees higher than the previous peak, and that was in 1988. And this year, the BBC hastened not to mention, it was just 33.1. Whereas here in Ottawa, also not noted for its olive groves, we just had our 251st day over five degrees Celsius, which puts us in ninth place since records began in the 1870s, although the all-time record was set in blazing hot 1953. The point, clear to anyone with statistical training, formal or informal, is that unusual events are unusual. They're not impossible, and they're not trends. Just like the Amazon fires of 2019, when the lungs of the Earth were on fire, but seem to have gone out, rhetorically and actually. Just in case, the Canadian government is going to save us all with trees. Including saving itself, because it needs to meet some very ambitious climate targets without infuriating citizens with expensive gas, or tearing the country apart as eastern politicians crush the western hydrocarbon energy industry. But here's the thing. During the 2019 election, the incumbent Liberals promised to plant 2 billion trees by 2030 and claim enormous carbon offsets along the way. And then they actually planted 8.5 million over two years, and then took a bow for the cameras, because they now plan to have a plan. The National Post needed an access to information request to discover that business about the 8.5 million so far. And apparently it's something to do with seedlings growing slowly, which you'd think the Department of Natural Resources would have known about in a country with as many trees as Canada. In case you don't live here, we should mention it's the second largest country in the world, and its relatively small population is heavily concentrated in the warmer southern part for some reason, leaving a vast and spectacular region covered in trees. All trees, all the time. Despite which the Post also discovered, this time via a press release, that the government just asked if anyone knows how you plant a lot of trees. Quote, Natural Resources Minister Jonathan Wilkinson has today launched a call for proposals, including from indigenous communities and municipalities, to plant millions of extra trees a year, end quote. Suppose you wanted to save the planet from that terrible CO2, and suppose you were a normal person. Then before embarking on a project to plant two billion trees, surely you'd ask how many we have already, in case it wouldn't be a big increase. In fact, you'd Google how many trees are there in Canada and get 318 billion. Not hits trees, which means that two billion, even if you did manage to plant them, would only be an additional 0.66 percent, which wouldn't make a twig of difference. Actually, nobody really knows how many trees there are in the world. Back in 2020, someone did a study that claimed there were 3.04 trillion, 7.5 times more than the settled science had previously indicated, and if that number's even roughly right, planting a few more will be nice, but it won't change the weather. Nor apparently will the passage of time. Last week, our 1920 or 2020 series took you to a lighthouse on the southern coast of Australia, and we liked the view so much we decided to visit another one, a short distance west on Cape Otway. As always on this tour, our data comes from the Australian Bureau of Meteorology website. So here's another chance to tell temperature in 1920 from that in 2020. And if you can't, We'll wager 2120 won't look all that different either, even if the Canadian government gets a handle on that tree-planting shovel at some point between now and then. But what of tornadoes? There's understandably been a lot of attention paid to the devastating ones that hit the US recently. But while we know what the alarmists and politicians say the science says, what does the science say? At her Climate Etc blog, Judith Curry provides an excellent roundup, not only of the IPCC assessment, but also of comments from tornado experts. For summary, quote, Fortunately, there is no sign that the number or intensity of the most violent tornadoes, EF3+, is increasing. However, tornadoes are becoming more tightly packed within outbreaks, and there are longer stretches in between, leading to more variability from quiet to violent periods and vice versa, end quote. It didn't stop Michael Mann from tweeting about intentional deception using a misleading chart. But if there is any connection, it may well be that more warning means fewer tornadoes. Don't stay tuned for alarmist politicians, journalists or scientists to tell you about that one, though. Now speaking of science, this week we dipped into the CO2science.org archive for a 2017 study asking, "Is climate change controversy good for science?" The point being to determine whether science benefits from allowing debate or from enforcing orthodoxy. Now, if you have to ask, you may struggle with the answer, which is that listening to competing views quote, "is beneficial for climate science in general. it fosters knowledge creation. End quote which is exactly what we at CDN have tried to do all along and what we'll continue to try to do in 2022 with your help. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson.